scriptures, please turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. We are going to look at verses 15 to 23. Paul continues in these words uh, in his letter to the Ephesian church, a church that he founded, a church that he loves, a church that he feels very warmly towards. These words are given for that church, uh, that they can know hope, and they're given for us, that we too can know hope. This is God's word for us this morning. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you are a God who wants to be known, and you are a God who speaks. Father, send the Spirit to us this morning. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. Father, make us to know hope today in Christ. Amen. Friends, what are the things that make it hard for you to hope? Think of it. What are the things that make it hard for you to hope? Oftentimes we look around at the world around us And we see brokenness, we see division, we see hostility, we see sin and wickedness and injustice and oppression and we see all of these things and we feel acutely how far this world is from the way the world ought to be and it is so easy for us to feel hopeless. It is so easy for us to feel despair. The same thing was true of the Ephesian Christians to whom the Apostle Paul writes these words. If you remember back to the stories we looked at just a few weeks ago in Acts 19 and 20, the Ephesian Christians were a minority in Ephesus. They were opposed by the governing and the economically powerful people. They were even considered to be a threat to the economic order. 
Because as people turned away from the worship of idols, those who supported the idol worship in Ephesus stood to lose money. They lived not only in this world, but this world had little prospects for improved position in the future. They were powerless to change their culture. They could easily feel hopeless, just like we do. And that's why it's fascinating that as these words open in this section of Paul's letter, in verse 15, Paul rejoices over the Ephesian Christians. He rejoices over the faith that they demonstrate day in and day out, living in a culture, in a place like that. And he rejoices in the love that they show to one another there in the church. But in verses 16 to 18, Paul prays that they would also know hope. He rejoices at their faith and love and he prays for them that they would know hope. And in those words, I think Paul even prays that we, too, would know hope. And so as we open this morning, I want to start by just asking the question, what does it mean for us to know hope? What does it mean for us to know hope? I think a lot of times we are tempted to think of knowledge as simply internalizing information. And so we talk about people who know their Bible really good, and they tend to be people that know a lot of information about their Bibles, or they know a lot of content from within the Bible. But the Bible talks about knowledge differently than just internalizing information or knowing additional content. The Bible says that true knowledge is not just content. True knowledge is bone deep. True knowledge transforms our hearts and our wills and our minds. It changes what we want. It changes what we do. It changes what we think. And we see that even here in these words, because if you look at verse 18, look at where Paul says this knowledge of hope is going to come. He says, I pray that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Paul locates knowledge of hope, not in our minds, but in our hearts. The place where our desires and our loves and our passions live. So what does it mean to know hope? We're going to come there in just a moment. When I was in seminary, Uh, One of my seminary professors was an incredible, godly man, a very gentle man, uh, who we called the Smiling Assassin, uh, because his exams were notoriously brutal. They were just, they were terrible. They were hard. And on his final exam for his class on Acts and Paul, where we looked at the Acts of the Apostles and the letters of the Apostle Paul, on his final exam, he had this whole section on Philippians 2, 3 to 11, which is that great story of the humiliation of Christ who takes on the form of a servant, doesn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and humbles himself and and dies the death of a, a servant, even death on a cross, and then God has hugely exalted him because of that. And we looked only at the Greek text 
And he was asking us these really hard questions, like how would you translate this phrase, and what kind of uh, genitive construction is Paul using here with the noun? I mean, it was it was brutal. But the last question on that section of the exam was name one person on the seminary's janitorial staff. And his point was brilliant and pastoral and profound. His point was, you have not understood Philippians 2 just because you understand the Greek. You have only understood Philippians 2 if it has caused you to be humbled like Christ was humbled. If you have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, how the Apostle Paul begins that entire section. Friends, to know hope is to have hope. To know hope is not just to know the reasons for your hope. To know hope is to be transformed by hope. So then what is the hope to which God has called us? What is that hope that Paul is saying, he is praying, we will know? That hope goes by a few different uh, kind of titles here in the passage. In verse 18 and 19, Paul says uh, that that hope is also the riches of our glorious inheritance, uh, also the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. But what is the hope to which God has called us? It is laid out in breathtaking detail in verses 20 to 23. That hope is the great might that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he gave all things under his feet, put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Friends, the hope to which God has called us is that Jesus is the risen and reigning king. That is what Paul is saying here. He is the risen and the reigning king. So as we walk around and live in this broken world, this world full of sin and its effects, when we are tempted to feel hopeless, Paul is pointing us to remember that Jesus overcame sin and death. Jesus overcame sin and death, and even now, even this morning, even this very moment, Jesus reigns over everything, and he will reign forever. He reigns far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, because all things have been put under his feet. Think about the things that make it hard to hope. Think about the things that make you feel the most anxious, the things that make you feel the most despairing, the most fearful, the most hopeless. What are those things? Illness, maybe, or pain, or death. 
Or maybe it's broken relationships in your family or friendships. Paul is reminding us that as we look at these broken things around us, Jesus wept at the grave of his friend. Jesus experienced all of the brokenness of the world. Jesus wept when he experienced that brokenness, and then he raised his friend from the grave. Friends, Jesus wept and then delivered. He is reminding us here that death and sorrow are not the final truth of our lives. I think one of the things that we Christians uh, struggle the most with right now in terms of anxiety uh, is our broader political culture in the U.S. And, and the fear of losing cultural influence and power. A good way to judge whether or not that's something you're struggling with is just to ask yourself the question, how worked up does the news make you? Friends, to that, the Apostle Paul would say this morning, Jesus is anxious about nothing. Jesus is anxious about nothing. He reigns over everything. He is Lord, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come, because all things have been put under his feet. And friends, the shape of our hope in Christ is not that we get power and influence in this world. There is no election that can change the fact of Christ's reign. I was listening to a power this week, uh, a power. I was listening to a pastor this week on a podcast, and he said, Jesus is not going to endorse political candidates because he is Lord. He's not running for office. President would be a demotion for Jesus. Think about that. President would be a demotion for Jesus. Another pastor mentioned recently that the church in the United States is hemorrhaging young adults. Not because those young adults don't believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. Friends, we can't acknowledge on the one hand that Jesus is Lord over everything. We can't acknowledge that he has been given lordship far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come because God has put all things under his feet. We can't acknowledge that and then live our lives in anxiety about the broader cultural and political forces in our world. Psalm 146.3 reminds us that we must not put our trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Friends, our hope is that Jesus is Lord. I saw this in a beautiful and profound way uh, in one of my previous churches. A young man uh, came to the church and he had just moved to the area he and his wife had. And as soon as they moved there and closed on their house, his wife up and left him another man and he was in the pit of despair 
When I first met him, he was incredibly depressed and just felt like the, the weight of the world was breaking him down. And as he came and as he began worshiping at the church and plugging into this gospel community that the Lord had formed there and shaped there, he began to understand grace for the first time in his life. And, and the gospel just sort of bloomed and blossomed in this guy. And it was profound watching him come to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him. And I remember he was standing in my kitchen one evening and he was talking about some of the things that his ex-wife was asking him to do. And it was just entirely unreasonable. And it was just frustrating. And she was taking advantage of his generosity. And I was just like, dude, why are you being so nice? Like, say no. Say, like, you wanted to leave, be gone, right? And he looked at me. And he said, Todd, if there's one thing I've learned here, it's that the gospel means I don't have to win. Man, he got it. That's what Paul is talking about here. Friends, the gospel means we don't have to win. People of hope don't have to win in this life because we serve the one who has already won for eternity. And so you might be saying, this is all well and good, but hope is hard. It is hard to feel hopeful. If you only knew the circumstances of my life, maybe you wouldn't even say these things. Friends, how do we get this hope? Where does it come from? How do we get it? Paul tells us two things in this passage. The first one is in verse 17. He says uh, that he is praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. The first answer of how we get this hope is that we get it from the Holy Spirit. God has given us the Spirit, which means that hope is not something God is looking at us and telling us to manufacture. He's not looking at us and saying, you need to scare this up in yourselves. You need to be hopeful. And if you just white-knuckle your life enough, you're going to be hopeful. That is not the point. God has given us the Spirit, which means God, through the Spirit, in Christ, is forming hope in us. Jesus is giving you hope. That is one of the things he is doing even here this morning. Jesus is shaping gospel hope in you. That's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is the first place we get hope. Here's the second. And it's hard to see this in our English translations. But everywhere in this passage, you see the word you or your is a second person plural. And the English translators of the ESV don't capture this well, but different regions of the United States have captured this reality more. If you're uh, in the north, you might say you guys or yous or yuns. If you're in Pittsburgh, you'd say yins. But the American South has captured this dynamic beautifully with the word y'all. <laughs> y'all need to know 
hope. The second person, plural. We hear Paul say to us that we need to know hope, and we kind of receive that as an individual command. But what Paul is doing here is he is writing to y'all. He's writing to us. Which is why at the end of this passage, he just kind of randomly brings in the church in verses 22 and 23. You see, friends, hope is not something we can manufacture on our own because the task of hope is too large and too difficult for any individual. The brokenness of this world is too much. Paul is saying we know hope by the Spirit, but we know it together. We know hope together as God's people, the church. The church is meant to be a place where Christ's rule and Christ's reign is reflected. We are meant to be a community of hope, a place where hope becomes plausible, a place where hope becomes possible. We are meant as God's people to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. A place we not only mourn and weep together, but a place we point one another to the beautiful hope we have in the gospel. That's why it's so important in Galatians 6.2, Paul says we must bear one another's burdens. Friends, we are meant not to walk through life together, not to try to scare up hope on our own efforts. We are meant to share our burdens with one another, to learn hope from one another. We learn hope together. We know hope together. We don't do it alone. One of my favorite videos on the internet comes from one of those British uh, nature shows that's like David Attenborough, like, now watch the male lion. He explores the region of his pride. You know what I'm talking about, these guys? Yeah. So one of these videos has a, a young male lion named Red, and he is uh, wandering off by himself. He's exploring the, the pride lands, and he wanders into the midst of a hyena clan. And so you've got one male lion, and you've got like 20 hyenas. And the hyenas surround him. And they, they start like nipping at him. And he's kind of trying to fight them, but it's just it's impossible for him to, to fight them all at the same time. And they're wearing him down and he's getting exhausted. And he lets out this big roar. And the camera cuts way over to the side. And you see another male lion, his friend Tattoo. And you see Tattoo's ears go whoosh. And he starts running toward his friend. And, and David Attenborough at this point is like, now the odds have changed. <laughs> Not even 20 hyenas is a match for two male lions. So they run off the, lion, the, the hyenas and, and this lion who was on the verge of being killed by these hyenas when he was alone is suddenly safe because he's with a friend. He's with another lion. Friends, I think it's a beautiful picture of what the church is meant to be. On our own, we are overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world. On our own, we are overwhelmed 
by all of the different things that, that remind us that this world is not what it was supposed to be, whether it's our own sin or the sin we see in the world or the wickedness of the world or, or death or the brokenness of our relationships. All of these things can overwhelm us. But together, we have hope. Together, we are reminded of what is most true about the world. Friends, Christ has given us the Holy Spirit. And Christ has given us the church that our hope in the gospel might be bone deep. And we can walk into this broken world together knowing that Christ is risen from the dead and Christ is reigning over the creation even this morning. And that the brokenness of this world is not ultimately the truest thing. And so as we conclude this morning, I want to leave you with two questions. I want you to write these down. I want you to think about these things as we think about having hope together as the church. And here are the two questions. The first one is this. Where is it that you need hope and the church can help? Where do you need hope and the church can help? Here's the second one. Where is it that you have hope that the church can benefit? Where is it that you have hope that the church can benefit? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit and you have given us your church, that we might know the hope to which you've called us, that we serve a king who is risen and reigning. Lord, work hope into our hearts this morning. Make it bone deep for us. Father, let us cherish the truths of the gospel. Father, let our hope not be something we know as a fact, but as something that changes our hearts, changes our wills, and changes our minds. Shape us by your Spirit in this community. Father, even now as we come to your table, we pray that you would be at work in us that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose to anchor us more and more in the hope that we have in Christ. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.